I want to invite all our listeners to join our Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook under Deep Dish on Global Affairs. This is a public group. Everyone is welcome, so please join in. You can find out about upcoming episodes in advance. You can submit questions to our upcoming guests. It's also a place for you to share your thoughts on episodes that we've already recorded and to suggest topics for new episodes as well as guests you'd like to hear from. So please go check us out under Deep Dish on Global Affairs. This is Deep Dish host Brian Hansen, and I just want to provide a quick note before this episode begins. We taped this episode just prior to President Trump's signing of an executive order that ended the separation of families at the U.S. border. In this episode, we intentionally tried to frame recent events in terms of a broader perspective on U.S. immigration policy, both where we are today and where we are going. And we believe that the content continues to be very relevant and useful for all of us as we seek to understand U.S. immigration debates. This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen, and today we're talking about U.S. immigration policy in the context of the Trump administration's zero-tolerance forced family separation. I'm joined today by Teresa Brown, who is the Director of Immigration Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and she is also a co-author of a report that the Chicago Council did together with the Bipartisan Policy Center called Balancing Priorities, Immigration, National Security, and Public Safety. Welcome, Teresa. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Teresa, we're talking today in the context of a new policy by the Trump administration, a zero-tolerance policy, which is resulting in the forced separation of families uh, and children from uh, parents and relatives that they're coming over the U.S. border with. Uh, This is an incredibly important issue. It's loaded with moral questions um, that are being hotly debated. Where I would like to take this conversation is to the broader policy context of what this administration is trying to accomplish uh, with U.S. immigration policy, the context in which um, this set of events is playing out, and then also talk about what kinds of pathways there are forward. What we do know in this context is that President Trump has been very upfront from the beginning about wanting to reduce illegal immigration into the United States. So I want to start with the question of, is this zero tolerance policy and the forced separation policy, um, will that achieve the stated goals of the administration in reducing illegal immigration? Well, I think somewhat that remains to be seen. It's not been in place that long. We didn't see uh, in the last month any sharp declines. And so we have to sort of wait and see. Uh, It does take a little time for these policies to essentially make their way back through the immigration chain uh, to the sending countries. But I think the bigger question in the United States right now is, are we comfortable with this as the means of trying to reduce illegal immigration? And I think what we're seeing in terms of the blowback and the pushback against the administration on this is no, the United States is not comfortable with this as a means of reducing illegal immigration. They want to find other solutions. And what are those other solutions? If it's not this, what what could be done? Well, there's a lot of things that could be done. This administration, however, does tend to focus on this idea of deterrence. 
that we want to deter people from making the trip in the first place, uh, even if they're coming for asylum. And so the efforts that they're trying to do even before this family separation or zero tolerance policy was increasing detention. Uh, you know, we have been doing prosecutions of uh, arrivals between the ports of entry for quite some time. They ramped that up. Um, they're trying to restrict the availability of asylum. They want to do more detention. They want to detain people until their cases can be heard because they believe that releasing them into the country encourages more immigration. The problem with a deterrence-only strategy is that there are a lot of reasons why migrants decide to come to the United States, and not all of them have to do with the challenge of actually getting into the United States or how difficult it might be once they arrive. A lot of them have to do with factors in their home country, and we're not doing anything to address that. The other thing is that if we, even if we do want to look at our own systems, the one of the biggest uh, bottlenecks, if you will, in processing people who arrive at the border is the backlog in immigration courts. If we were to put as many resources into uh, increasing the immigration court system, adding judges and courts and finding ways to speed up that process or make it fair and efficient, um, we wouldn't have to release people in the country for a couple of years until their cases are heard. So I think there are lots of other things that can be done aside from this just deterrence policy that would probably have more impact on the overall migration decisions. So I want to jump in on those because you've you've opened up two really important points. Let me start with this deterrence um, uh, point. I, one of the things about deterrence is the, the the deterrent threat has to be worse than what is motivating people to leave and try to enter the United States. Why are people coming up here, and is this kind of threat actually um, more uh, more threatening to them than what they're facing at home that causes them to to head to the U.S.? So to answer that question, I want to back up a couple of decades. Um, our system of how we manage uh, undocumented immigration, uh, people who arrive illegally at the United States-Mexico border for decades has been based on the fact that the majority of people arriving were Mexican. And by being Mexican, we could literally send them right back over the border. We didn't have to have a robust process inside the country to deal with people because we could, we could return them fairly quickly. And for most of our history, that's exactly what we did. Uh, starting in the early 2000s under the Bush administration, there was a conscious effort made uh, because many of those people turned right back across the border would return. They just they just try to come back. It was called recidivism. And the government decided they wanted to reduce those recidivism rates. So they it, they started to do some other things. They started to prosecute people for illegal entry, something called Operation Streamline. Uh, they decided to detain people um, and they instituted something called expedited removal, which meant that rather than just returning them over a border without any future immigration consequences, by uh, having this uh, prosecution and expedited removal, um, they now suffered immigration consequences should they ever try to come back legally. Um, and they also instituted things like uh, deporting people not at the place they came in, but at other parts of the border to try to sever their connection to their smugglers or returning them back to the interior of Mexico. So it would be a long trip to come back. All of those things did reduce uh, immediate recidivism rates from Mexico, but there were other changes that gradually reduce the migration from Mexico over time, including just the increase in the border patrol, uh, the recession in the United States, changes in Mexican economy and demographics. 
Then what happened and what we saw beginning in the uh, early 2010s is an increasing flow from Central America. This is a different migrant stream. It's different migrant, uh, the people coming from Central America are coming for different reasons than the traditional Mexican immigrants. They're coming, yes, because of poverty and looking for opportunity, but probably more so they're coming because there's serious crime in their countries. Uh, they are fearful of, of the criminal elements and the gangs. They are suffering, um, you know, especially for the women, uh, a, domestic violence and abuse systems that are tolerated in those countries. So these are stronger incentives, if you will, to leave where you are than I think our traditional migrant um, experience has been. And so you're absolutely right. Our traditional efforts at deterrence, which might have worked fairly well against a purely sort of economic migrant stream from Mexico, um, are going to be a lot less effective when the factors that are pushing people to move are much more serious. And because they're coming all the way from Central America, if they manage to make it to the U.S.-Mexico border, they're, they're going to be more persistent in trying to stay because the cost of going back and trying again would be so, uh, so large. So I, I think what we have to do is rethink um, not only you know, our, our efforts at deterrence, if deterrence is what we want to try to do, but also rethink our system for processing people who arrive, because we can't just send Central Americans back over the border. Um, you know, we have to, we, we have other processes, even if, even if they were subject to some of these expedited processes and weren't sent before an immigration judge, we can't just send them back to Mexico. Mexico doesn't have to take them. We have to deport them back to the countries that entails some time for transportation, travel documents, arrangements with the host, the home countries, etc. I think that's very helpful. And I'm glad you put this, this particular moment into a broader historical context. The other place that you had introduced earlier that I wanted to touch on was the backlog of cases, of asylum cases here in the United States. I understand it's something like 600,000, if I'm right, on the, the number of cases that are, are, are backlogged. And, and my understanding is one of the reasons for the detention is because there's such a big backlog, it takes a, a long time to even hear these cases. So what to do with the people who tried to enter before their, their uh, claims uh, to asylum or, or can even be adjudicated? Is this part of the, the challenge? And if so, what can be done? It is part of the challenge. And as you said, um, this administration that wants to solve that by detaining people until their cases are heard, which can be an average of two or more years. So think about it this again to put yourself in the migrants situation. Uh, a migrant who is fleeing what they believe is an untenable situation that's likely to result in their death or the death of their child or loved one flees the country seeks out refuge in America, which they have been told and believe all their lives is still a place of refuge. Um, and they have heard from previous people who've come that, yes, you'll be arrested, you'll be detained, but eventually you'll be given a letter and let loose in the country. You're supposed to go to an immigration court in a couple years, but you can you have two years in which to figure out how to stay. And that's exactly how they think about it. They think about it in those terms. Like, well, I don't have a guarantee I'll be able to stay, but in two years, I'm sure I can figure something out. Um, so the backlog is, and the government says this, and I, I don't disagree with them, the backlog and the delay can be an incentive, or at least it's not a deterrent for people to arrive. Um, if we were to find some way to clear out that backlog, 
allow people to state their claim if they are applying for asylum before an immigration judge within a matter of weeks or a couple of months. Um, and they would have a decision of whether they could stay or not very quickly. And those who could stay would be allowed in and those who could not would be returned fairly quickly. I think that would change that migrant's thought process more than uh, detention, more than this, this sort of cruel cruelty that we're trying to put people through as a means of deterrence. And we would allow people to have their day in court. They would be able to, to plead their case. Um, so I think that's where we could make, if you will, the most bang for our U.S. government resources buck is by fixing that part of the process. And are there proposals to, to do that currently part of the debate, either being forwarded by either party? Um, only recently, within the last 24 hours, uh, there's been a proposal by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas to add a couple of hundred immigration judges to the backlog. We've done some back of the envelope calculations. We don't think that would make much of a dent, but it's the first sort of proposal that addresses that piece of the puzzle. Um, the administration on its own, Senator uh, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has tried to expedite the processing of cases in the backlog by ordering immigration judges to have a quota of cases they must complete each year and limiting the amount of time that each case can go on. Uh, advocates have pushed back on that, saying it's actually limiting the ability of people to really make a, a serious try at their case. Um, and it's unclear that it's going to have that much of an impact on the backlog either. But I think we do need some more proposals and some more thought put into what can be done with that part of the system. And as we close, the question I'd, I'd like to ask is, some people have said that the Trump administration is using this policy of forced separation in order, as a bargaining chip, in order to negotiate a bigger deal on immigration. We know that that uh, the majority leader in the Senate and the, and the Speaker of the House are working with their caucuses to put something together legislatively, at a, if perhaps just to address this specific issue. But more broadly, as somebody who looks at at immigration in a bipartisan way and has a strong sense of where there are where where there's support within the parties, is there an outcome which could be acceptable to? Trump administration, Republicans in Congress, maybe some Democratic support. Is there a bipartisan resolution to this? I think there can be. And I think it's going to require all parties to probably make some hard choices and concessions. The president has turned down several bipartisan deals that have happened before on the Dreamers and border security, in part because he didn't get everything he wanted in them. Um, and in fact, Democrats have also uh, not supported some bipartisan compromises because they did it didn't have everything that they wanted or went farther on enforcement than they were willing. Um, there is a big divide. It's it's a gap. It's a pretty big gap, but it can be closed if people are willing to sort of go there. And I think they have to sort of change the calculus that doing nothing and blaming the other side is more politically viable for them than actually making hard choices and getting something done. Um, and that's where we have been for the last you know couple of decades, actually. Well, Teresa, thanks so much for joining us and, and putting today's debate into a broader context and also ending with a, with, with a sense of uh, a possible way forward. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Great. Thanks so much. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Deep Dish on Global Affairs. As a reminder, the opinions you heard today belong to the people who expressed them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. And if you like the show, 
please let us know by tapping the subscribe button on your podcast app. You can find us under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know someone who would enjoy this episode, please tap the share button and send it to them as well. If you have any questions about anything you heard today or if you want to know about upcoming episodes in advance and submit questions for upcoming guests, please join our Facebook group, Deep Dish on Global Affairs. This episode of Deep Dish was produced by Evan Fazio. Our audio engineer is Andy Zarnecki. I'm Brian Hansen, and we'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish.